there's only really two big macro level places to park your capital, right? And one of those has been and will always be in real estate. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Today, I have Jeff Pepperney, the CEO of Real Property Management with me. Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm excited to chat with you today, and I'd love to start with a little bit about your background. If we wind up, where did you get your start professionally? What did the beginning of your career look like? Absolutely. I always talk about the journey, right? So the professional journey, I think, starts with where you were personally quick background. My parents were both educators, high school level, right? So I, you think about what what the values that instill in you in terms of watching as you're growing up. And education was not my path, right? Because we always think about where we want to be. I wanted to be a stockbroker, right? So I, I think about the, the uh, salary levels of an educator back in the 80s. And you think about the great experience that we had. And I'm like, I'm going to go take the world over, become a stockbroker. So my path was in the financial side of the business. And I started out after college with Deutsche Bank in Chicago in financial services. From a sales perspective, I transitioned to banking operation and there was something missing. And I think the missing component for me was I like to teach, educate, help people build. And that's how I arrived into ultimately franchising. So that background of finance and banking, that's fascinating. What have been the skills that you acquired in that phase of your career that you've continued to apply in other domains? Yeah, I think it's three things. I think one is relationship building, right? So truly understanding who your partners, clients, teammates are in terms of developing relationships. Two, it's about products and services, right? And understanding is from a building capabilities perspective, and then three to me is, it's about networking. And so really looking at those three components has helped me both early career and as I've grown in my career and help companies build and scale. Let's dive into that last one, networking. That can feel like an extracurricular item for a lot of small business owners. It's not obvious what the benefit is. You read about it. You hear that your network is your net worth. But in terms of being low to the ground and fully getting the value, not everybody gets that vision. How would you, how would you speak to and quantify the value of what that can provide for a small business owner? Yeah, I think network starts with mentors, right? And I look at my career, what's helped me early is finding the right mentors, right? To watch, partner with, help observe. And also too, it's finding the right organizations to be part of. I think through our journey, we've worked with and for a lot of people that we've taken great things from. We've also taken some things that we said is, we probably don't want to apply it this way or a different way. But I think the network as a whole, again, starts with from a mentor perspective and then leaning in and then ultimately giving back, right? I think there's the power of helping people reach what they want to reach and then turning around and helping others pull them up. And I think you do that through networking. The joy about that loop is that it's something you can do over and over and over again, that give back that eventually enriches you. And then it further deepens what you're able to provide for others. When you think about your journey towards franchising, what initially attracted you towards that kind of a, a business structure in that environment? Yeah, I think it goes back to to the educational side, kind of talking about my family experience, right, is helping educate, right? There are people from an entrepreneurship that are looking to be part of something and attaching into, as we talk in franchising, you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And so that relationship, the educational point, helping people build, and ultimately what we look at at Real Property Management is we help business owners fulfill the dream of being in business. The channel that we do that through is through property management. 
I'd love to talk about franchising more broadly. Some folks have had an intersection with property management and franchising via either participating or knowing a franchisee in this space. But the reality is that franchising touches so many different consumer services all over the world. What are some of the specific distinctives of how a franchise works uh, more broadly outside of one industry, but just on the whole? Yeah, absolutely. Franchising is about having proven systems, proven tools, proven capabilities, whether it's your marketing systems, your operational playbook, your technology stack, and then go back to the word we've been talking about, a network, right? A network of peers in the same category that are hyper-competitive, but everybody started at the same spot in franchising, right? Opened a business, grew and scaled competitive in terms of whatever metrics you're in and whatever geographic your location, but they also then help pull people forward in their journey in franchising. So huge proponent of franchising, again, helping fulfill dreams, having people come into a business platform to build their capabilities, their competencies. And franchising to me is is what what America really is. It's small business ownership. And you look at so many different concepts are in franchising. It doesn't matter what category it is. And it all starts for that singular belief is, I want to go into business for myself, but not by myself. One of the things that's interesting about a franchise as an entry point into property management, and one thing that other folks that have come into the industry through other avenues may not have experienced, is the evaluation period of looking at different franchise options. As you said, there are franchise models across almost every industry. When people are making that evaluation and they're looking at the a similar model across different industries, in your opinion, what makes a strong versus a weak franchisor? Yeah, I think it starts with, in terms of the evaluation, that word you use evaluating, right, is is I have to have a passion around what I'm doing, right? So that passion has to say is most people that are looking to get into franchising know they want to get into business ownership, right? So that component's done. Then it gets into the category, and the category has to be through my evaluation is whether it's food services, home and consumer services, have to try to put themselves into that daily role, and understand the business components in, is that going to be client-facing? Is that going to be uh, all weekend long type of organization, right? So understanding is, is what's that business category and do I have a passion to it? And we often find people come to realize is, I really don't like X, right? That category. And that's a good part for the evaluation because ultimately what they're doing in franchising takes a long period of time of their life. So they really got to like the business model. So we think about, Mm -hmm. for us, validation is the word that we use in the franchising industry is is you're going through a journey in, I've arrived to the point that I want to be in business. I've arrived at a point I want to join a franchising organization, right? I go through the understanding of the business model, check that through to say is, is I feel a sense of passion that I want to be in that category. And then the next component is, is to turn that open up and say is, let's get you in front of existing franchise owners in our system, right? Have the conversations because they were you at some point. Help them give you Mm -hmm. the tools, right? About what was it like in that first three months when I signed my franchise agreement? What was it like at year one, at year three? So again, keep coming back to that other word that we've been using is network. I think you find that in franchising to help truly understand is, is this the right category that's going to fulfill the purpose that I'm looking for of the dream of business ownership? Back to the idea of a weaker versus a stronger franchisor, knowing that there are so many out there. Talk to me about alignment and how the franchisor and the franchisee can pursue the tightest fit of mutual alignment of their interests. Yeah, at mutual alignment, it comes to mutual success, right? The, the franchisee's success is part of the overall concept that they're in, the brand, right? Our greatest strength, as we always say, is the network that we have. And understanding what the goals are for that person coming in, looking to join an organization and the goals at the brand level at what we're looking to accomplish as well. 
those two have to align together and understanding what is our roadmap to bring you into an organization, right? And franchising and any franchising concept, just not ours. But what's the roadmap to help build, grow, scale? And what is your goals at the one-year mark, the three-year mark, the 10-year mark? I think when there's a mutual understanding of goals and the shared goals, there becomes mutual alignment and understanding that we have mutual success together and fulfillment of that. How do you think about the tension between enablement versus being constrained? For example, if you've bought into a Domino's franchise and you decide that you're really passionate about sushi, that's not an appropriate venue by which to express that creative expression. Similarly, every franchise has these these models and these opportunities, but uh, there is a only a, there's a limited degree to which you can stretch the metaphor per se. How would you speak to somebody that's wondering how their creative expression will show up and manifest itself in the context of of a franchise opportunity? Absolutely, I, I think a lot of that comes through that initial evaluation, right? Having those. And and the evaluation is a journey. Like it's not a day, a week, a month, and sometimes it's a 12-month, two-month, or two-year perspective of understanding is, is this the right fit, right? Because you don't want to come into a pizza company and realize I want to be in sushi. If that's the case, then I think there's the help of how do we help you sell your business, Mm -hmm. right? Because at some point, goals may change or I've reached the level of what I thought I wanted to accomplish at a business ownership, and I'm ready for my next venture. But I do think evaluation is wildly important. I know one of the things that we work on, because as you know, in the property management category, it has changed dramatically. What we're doing today looks a lot different than five years ago, and what we're going to do today may look greatly different in the next five years. A lot of what we do and go back to the franchise or franchisee relationship is we work together. We have a host of committees at our company where we're working with our franchisors from innovation, from marketing, from operations, right? To be looking at is, is where are we at today? Where do we want to go in the next three to five years? A lot of ideation so that together is we're charting the course of what does the next five years look like and how do we get there together? And some of the greatest ideas come from our franchisees that we're able to work together on to implement and execute. And then ultimately, you've got a brand that just explodes in terms of the passion behind where we're going. I have a huge passion for helping small business owners succeed. And part of the position that I find myself in, the opportunity that I have, is to take ideas from other domains, to apply them here in a way that is accessible to small business operators. There's a lot of fantastic business business ideas in books, whether it's a, what a Jeff Bezos is doing or an Elon Musk. And it's interesting and it's stimulating, but it's not obvious what it means for a boots-on-the-ground operator. Similarly, you have the challenge of working with small businesses that are at various stages of the life cycle. How do you deal with the challenge of working with somebody that's at 100 doors versus 1,000 doors, knowing that these are dramatically different contexts, even though it's all within the, the container of property management? Yeah, and I'd even go back to zero doors, right? So on an annualized basis, we award 40 to 50 locations a year, right? So that's someone coming into the category with no properties, right? Maybe no background in property management. So what we do at Real Property Management, we have six stages of business, right? So that first franchisor that comes in, comes into our RISE program. We help them go from point A to point B. There are certain tools and technologies that aren't needed in that first zero to 50 doors versus our highest stage, which is our sixth stage, the max group, Those men and women are managing 1,000 units, 3,000 units. So it's very tailored support, whether it's from an operation, a marketing, a technology stack, a networking perspective. So look, if you try to do one size fits all from zero doors to 3,000 doors and have tailored support, it does not work. So we broke the business down with our franchise owners and our building capabilities committee and said is let's put the roadmap together that says is how do I go from zero doors to 60? How do I go from 60? But then we stopped and said, it's not doors. It's based on profit, 
And so we use a calculation of real revenue, which is how we align our six stages of the business. Because we all know that someone at 400 properties and 1400 properties may have a different profit component. So again, a long way to say is tailored support, having stages of the business, bring business coaches in that fit into those stages that ultimately help earn someone the opportunity to say is, is I've succeeded in stage one and I'm growing and scaling. And at our second stage, it starts to talk about staffing. When you first come in, we're not talking about staffing. So each of those stages has a very defined target of what does that business organization look like? What's the business operations look like? What's the talent look like? And how do we help you, right, that came in? You came in as a business owner. You're now the CEO, right? You think about someone who's managing 3,000 properties. He may have 40 or 50 people on his team. He was at one point doing a lot of bank reconciliations, right? And he has to grow his competencies and capabilities to be a leader, to be the CEO of a company. So tailored support, six stages of the business has been tremendous for us to help us continue to build and grow. Because I have some internal insight, one of the things that's really interesting to me is seeing the coaching staff that you have that's a fairly deep. How many coaches do you guys have on staff? Yeah, we have seven business coaches. And, and what's interesting to me is that the assignment of those coaches maps to uh, to size, roughly, i.e. that the larger organizations are working in a smaller pool and that the, the uh, skills, temperament, and focus of those coaches is, again, tailored to the stage of the business, correct? Without a doubt. I mean, our first business coach goes from the time we award a franchise to the time you open your business. So you think about that you started many businesses. You go back and think about what are all of the components that I have to get right the first time to launch my business. So we have a business coach in that position. Our next business coach helps them open their business. Our top end in our max group, right? Our business coach there is helping them become CEOs of their company and continue to scale to heights that they probably never thought about when they joined four years ago or six years ago. So very deliberate in terms of who we bring in to the coaching staff for each of those stages. I want to move and talk about leadership and your personal growth as a leader. My observation, my experience has been that it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that mechanical, tactical considerations are what is driving and fueling my growth, as opposed to taking the full onus of realizing it's about me my personal development, how I'm elevating in my thinking and the way I'm relating to the work. What does your growth journey as a leader look like? Yeah, I, I think we're all always growing, right? So what we're doing today is helping us grow each other individually in companies. I think there's three things if I go back and, and look at leadership. And, and for me, the first is watching and listening. One of the things at Neighborly, which is our parent company, we have a defined set of values, which is one of the one of the few reasons is why I looked at organizations and success comes to values. One of our values is looking to the system for correction, right? And so that is not coming in and saying is these are the things we should be doing, but listening to understand what is important, what's working, what's not working. I think to me, that's one component of a great listener or a great leader is someone who listens, right? Take it in, understand it, try to assess the situation and get as many perspectives as possible. I think the second thing from a leadership perspective is being willing to take risks, right? We're all in a business as small business owners is, every day could be a risk for us, right? So having an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset to me is important. And I think the third component is celebrating. Celebrating, that's one of our last values is having fun in the process celebrating successes because oftentimes we will go a hundred miles an hour to accomplish a goal, hit that goal and then keep going and keep going and keep going and having checkpoints to say is let's stop, let's celebrate with our teams and the people that got us here. Cause I always believe the pace of the team is the pace of the leader, mm. right? You could mm. go fast, mm. but you should pause to celebrate because people love to celebrate successes. We say that, go back to our business coaching, right? Our business coaches, they're there to celebrate success. They're there to pick our franchise owners up if they're struggling, right? So to me, those are the, the three components of leadership that I focus on. 
I think, and I've learned that through my journey in coming in, right, as an individual contributor and then growing ultimately to leading a team and leading an organization. That last one really hits home with me, celebrating. My observation is that entrepreneurs in one specific sense can be guilty of being really ungrateful at times. And that's in the arena of having a goal and aspiration, achieving it and just blowing right past it. There's no acknowledgement. There's no sitting in it. There's no appreciation. And what's interesting to me is at times as entrepreneurs, we can treat ourselves in a way that we would never think of treating someone else. We can push ourselves with a level of harshness and a lack of empathy at times that if it was if it was externalized to a spouse or a child, it would be obvious that that's not a great way to treat someone. But in that act of doing that to myself, I am setting a tone for the staff about what I expect from them. So I love that you're focused on celebration. Let's talk more about maybe some of the laundry list of early errors and things that new businesses are frequently hitting their heads on. What are some other things that come to mind of just some repeated patterns of areas where people get stuck and just need to, to get over in order to keep breaking through to, to each new level? Yeah, I, I, I'll, again, I'll go back to, for me, right, what I've seen and has worked incredibly well is early on, we talked about my family and being in the education sector, right? And and if you think about that, there's a process, right? There's kindergarten, there's first grade, there's second grade, like there is a process to follow, to be able to continue to learn, build, grow as an individual, those same apply in businesses. And I think some of the components that oftentimes is, is I want to get from point A to point Z, and I want to skip a few things. And when you skip a few of those things, it could be detrimental to your company, which is why for us, again, going back and putting those stages of the business together, really said is, we'll get you to the goal that you want to achieve, right? But you can't get to 2,000 properties until you get your first, your 10th, your 50th, your 100th, right? And then how you build and grow that organization is wildly important because you're only you, you only get to accomplish the first thing right the first time. So I think about to me is having a systematic process and it's just not an education. Like I love sports. Like you hear coaches talk all the all about it. It's the process, mm, right? Mm, like it mm. is the time that you're in watching video. It's practice, right? They go out and play a game. The game is just, the game's the fun part. That's the execution of it. Mm -hmm. So following a process to ensure that the direction that we're going keeps us very focused on that vision. The sports metaphor is extremely interesting to me for a variety of reasons. You mentioned watching the tape. That metaphor doesn't always translate to business. And I'll confess with myself, because I tend to like to be in motion and to learn in motion, it's easy to skip over that specific step. When you think about watching the tape and kind of porting that sports metaphor to business, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, I, I think for, for me, watching the tape is is, is taking the time to, to slow down to go fast, right? Because that's, that's what you talk about, right? Like, I, I just don't because I'm, I'm going too fast to get to that destination that I so choose to get to. I think for us is, is sitting down watching tape comes to what's the performance that we're looking to accomplish next month, right? Oftentimes people talk about the, what are the results that we achieved this month? The results that you achieved are because the process that you followed. If we're not to the following month and the following month of what we want to accomplish personally or as a business, then, then we miss out in terms of what we're doing. We, we arrived at a destination. Maybe we got lucky. Maybe we didn't get lucky in terms of what we're doing. It's so to me, stopping and, and watching film and then taking that and saying is that becomes repeatable, right? Each and every year, mm. the Green Bay Packers aren't putting together an entire new playbook mm this year, right? They're taking that and saying is, is this is the proven model that we had? What are we doing to optimize that to get a better return? Taking our our current best and making it our future better. I think that's about watching watching the 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 video, having the playbook. 
I want to hit you with a completely unfair false dichotomy that feels very real to small businesses. Jeff, is it growth or profit? Profit. I didn't even didn't even pause on you didn't that. Blink one, right? on like, that one. I didn't I didn't have to figure out is is or, or should I go this right. way? Should I go that way? It, it, to me, it's profit, right? And and hopefully you saw that when I said is is when we build our stage of the business, it's based on real revenue, which is ultimately profit, right? Because profit is what we're seeking in business ownership. But I also think what we're seeking in business ownership is being part of a community. Our, our purpose at Real Property Management, I always tell people it's a threefold purpose. To build a service community that enriches people's lives by delivering amazing experiences. And so you think about that is, is yes, we're focused on profit, right? Profit is going to help fulfill why I got into small business ownership because I wanted to put my three sons through college, right? I wanted to, whatever the goal is, profit's important, as important as profit is about being part of a service community, mm. about enriching people's lives, right? Again, I, I talk in our business model and franchising, we fulfill dreams, right? And so that's helping enrich their lives. Think about somebody coming in small business ownership is at some point they're going to hire, right? They're going to enrich somebody's lives. And you know best too, right? In our category, we have two clients, right? Owner, investor, resident. We're enriching both of their lives too. So long way to come back to profit, profit, profit. Cash flow is freedom, optionality, and calling your own shots. One of the interesting distinctives about RPM is that, as you mentioned, there is a parent company, Neighborly, which means that when you say community, you're not just talking about the RPM community, but really these adjacent communities as well, these other organizations. What do you feel is the unique advantage and the opportunity of being connected with those other service business communities? I think three things. So I'll, I'll tell you one personally, right? So for me, and you know this, as a leader of the company... It gets lonely at the top. We have 18 other service brands in our in our portfolio. I have 18 other amazing men and women to be able to network with, to be able to be inspired by, to share back to, right? So I think part of that is, for me, the leadership capabilities that are being built in a large organization. I think specific to our category, the second one I think about is, what do we often hear one of the greatest challenges is in property management? Maintenance. Hmm. I have 18 maintenance companies at Neighborly. Plumbing, electric, house cleaning, landscaping. I mean, the list, it's, it touches every single one of those. So to have the power of, a, of an organization like that to fulfill the challenges that we run into in property management, which is... I could bring properties on. I could do all these components, but man, I bump my head against the maintenance category. For us, it's a it's a game changer in our organization. I think I think the third thing in terms of our parent company, what we're amazing at too is is helping individuals own a business, grow a business, and scale a business. And we could look at that. There's a lot of common themes. Doesn't have to be in property management, could be in other categories, but again, a proven method and system of helping business owners come in, build and grow and scale. And we do that through the property management category. But there's 18 other categories that we're doing that into. So have you seen operators within the RPM family cross over to, to one of those other networks, those other brands and vice versa? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have a number of franchise owners at Real Property Management that started with Real Property Management and have expanded specifically into the number one category that seems to be the theme in ours, which is plumbing. We have a number of our franchise mm -hmm. owners that have grown into Mr. Rooter. Think about Sean and Joni, for example. That's right. Sean and Joni, Justin Underwood in Arkansas. Like there's a number of different franchise owners that get into other adjacent categories that are complementary to their business model. And then conversely, we see that occurring as well. Other franchise owners in different concepts come into property management because there's some synergies and adjacencies within the business model. I think one of the cool things too is, is you, you talk about Sean and Joni, 
we just got done with our conference, right? In Nashville. It's a great so event. We bring in our franchise system. We spend two days with our system focused about real property management. And that leads into the neighborly portion. In that room, there's 4,000 franchise owners. So you think about, sure, they're in different categories, property management, plumbing, electric, but they're business owners, mm. all with the same goals, all with the same values, all with the same purpose. And to be able to network, it's incredibly, incredibly amazing to watch people come across to different components. And then where we add value into it is, think about our franchise owners. They're building wealth through their business in different categories in neighborly. What we could provide to them is, is helping them understand how to build wealth and passive income through real estate investing. I didn't say we did, we're teaching them property management. We're talking about building wealth and passive income from the business that they have and putting that back into. So a lot of ways that, that we give back as part of neighborly and a lot of ways that we are extracting out of neighborly to help our real property management franchise owners solve what they're looking to solve. Speaking of real estate, there are some significant turns in the market right now. Things are changing. You mentioned that you're connected to a variety of brands. Property management is uniquely positioned, is affected in a unique way. And part of the joy for me is being connected to an industry that is counter-cyclical in nature, or at least that's the idea. It's been the, the old adage and wisdom. And now we're really about to find out. We're about to find out how exactly it responds under shifting macro conditions. What are your feelings and sensibilities and what are you telling franchisees about the opportunities that could exist over the next couple of years? Yeah, I, I think the opportunities continue to, to present itself to be abundant, right? But it may shift a little bit. But, and we saw this how many years ago, right? The, the creation of the accidental... Mm -hmm investor, accidental landlord, right? We're seeing that today in many of our markets because I listed a house on Thursday. I didn't have 15 offers by Saturday. Our phone begins to ring, which is, can you manage this property? So I think through the last 15 years, there were investors that were created. And I think those investors will continue to take more and more and more properties on. And I think we're seeing a wave of the new creation of the next level of accidental investors. So I think we're going to re repeat some things at, at the investor level. I don't think in terms of the monetary level, which was the collapse of the housing mm -hmm, component. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the opportunity exists in the property management category is tremendous platform where we were to where we're at to where this industry is going. We are super, super excited about it. I am as well. How do you think about the shifting regulatory environment? PMs have differing sensibilities. In general, SMB tends to be more free market minded, more concerned about areas of additional oversight, potentially intrusion. At the same time, the professional property manager is dramatically better prepared to deal with, accommodate, and comply with expanding regulation as opposed to fly-by-night operators, maybe realtors that may be exiting the market and wanting to come into property management. How do you think about the challenges and opportunities of regulation in this space? Yeah, I, I, I think there are challenges. I think there are opportunities. And I think it's, I think it's also, there's a component that's good for the professional property management organizations. Right. To be able to do it right the first time, each time. And I think, you know, I think the industry as a whole in property management, I think we're more connected together, even though we're competing against other property management companies. I, I believe regulation to an extent is a good component for our business. I think that helps us continue to build. I think it helps us continue to grow doing it the right way. And I think investors know that which is why investors choose to use a property management company, not just because they don't want to deal with the adage of the tenants and the toilets, but they understand the professional property management company knows what they're doing, is deeply connected in their marketplace, understands the rules, the regulations, and is going to do it right for everybody included. 
Jeff Bezos is famous for saying that he's not focused on what's going to be different, but what's going to be the same about the future. We're mentioning these economic tailwinds, headwinds, depending on where you sit in the market. What do you see as the constancy of this business 10 years from now? What still is going to be true about residential property management? Yeah, I think three things are going to be true. First, the client experience. The client experience and the relationship that you build today is critically important for where you want to be in that relationship in 10 years. How we do things may look completely different, but having the right relationship with your investor, having the right relationship with your resident will help you stay with them for 10 years, right? We often talk about the lifetime value of a customer and those components. I mean, that's the outcome for the work that we're doing in the relationship. I think the second thing that's going to look the same in 10 years from now, but we're going to get there in a very, very different place is the professionalism of a property management company, right? It To me, that is why, as I said before, investors continue to pour capital into it because they understand the need and value of having a property management company that's professionalized. I think the third thing, right, kind of looking out in 10 years from now is housing. There's always going to be a need, right, for a safe and habitable location. Can kind of go back to our purpose that service community, right, I'm part of a community that I need safe housing for. I think the other thing that's going to be is there's only certain, there's only really two big macro level places to park your capital, right? And one of those has been and will always be in real estate. I have a more tactical question for you, and that is around finance. A lot of small business owners, they don't identify as numbers people. It doesn't give them joy looking at a P&L. And there's somewhere in this increasing awareness of understanding the importance of it and the difference between finance and accounting, both important, but in terms of what drives significant long-term leveraged strategic outcomes, that's on the finance side, not on the accounting side, even though absolutely accounting has to be done well. What kind of encouragement and feedback do you have for small business operators that are intimidated by finance and numbers and KPIs, and there's just an identity disconnect that prevents them from engaging and getting the benefit of paying attention to it? Yeah, it, it, it's a great question, right? Because as, as small business entrepreneurs, right, I just, I want to run as fast as I possibly can, right? And I want to look back and realize my cash flow is great. I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't know that it wouldn't be great. That is, not a, that is not a good success model. So I think it's understanding, right, the discipline. If I am wildly focused on accounting, finance, numbers, data, right, then you've already got this built-in success criteria as a business owner. If you're not, you need to find a partner, right? You can't not, you can't pay attention, you can't not pay attention to the finances of your business because at some point you're going to go out of business. And so what I think about it is if, if that's your passion and you're really good at it, it becomes a focus point. If it's not, you need to leverage into an organization, a fractional CPA to help you on that. Because long-term, as you know, you won't survive. I'm curious to get your take on the trust accounting aspect of things. I've always been fascinated by the difference and the uniqueness in this space of the trust accounting requirements. We've mentioned franchising, a variety of industries. It's fairly uncommon for a small business to be expected to hold on to a large sum of liquid cash and to just park it on the side and keep it safe. In general, actually, that sounds like a horrible idea for your average uh, if you took your average domino franchisee and you said, here's a million bucks, hold on to it, you know, don't let anything happen to it. And yet that is the norm here in property management. What do you think are some of the unique challenges around that stewardship component of the business? Yeah, I, I don't know that it's challenges as much as it's truly understanding your fiduciary responsibility, mm-hmm. right? Understanding that helps you not deviate from what you must do to protect your company and to protect your investors. We have an entire organization at Real Property Management, which is our accounting services, right? So you think about 
a new business owner coming in and talking about, you start talking about trust accounting, right? And different deposit accounts and what goes where. But I look at our entrepreneurs that come in and join the company and realize that's not their forte. Their forte is building, scaling, and growing a business. We take that on for them as a service for the first year or first 100 properties. And then we'll transition them into if they want to bring that in-house and we'll train them. Doesn't mean that they have to go after the first year. We got many that stay with us, but we understand that is an important component of a business in terms of trust accounting with hundreds of millions of dollars in our organization kind of on the side. So to protect that, protects your individual business, protects your investors. We talked earlier about that false dichotomy between growth and profit. Growth is a significant factor. It's a function business owners interact with, and they have to decide to what degree are they going to embrace that skill set? To what degree is it going to be somebody on staff? Will they hire another vendor to help them? How do you encourage franchisees to think about growth and how much of that growing edge they personally need to embrace, particularly folks that are not charismatic, that don't uh, enjoy getting out there and putting themselves in public, but they realize they need to find some way to grow the business. Yep. I, I would break it down to two things. One of the things we talk about is it's very unique to the individual real property management franchise owner. What are your goals and aspirations this coming year? We have some that say is, I have reached a level that I am highly profitable. My churn rate is best in my peer group, right? Like I am at a spot where I'd like to stay. And we make sure that that same level of energy is focused on there because you don't want to get it stagnant and take your eye off of the ball. I think the second piece is, and so that's okay. Like continue to focus on profit, right? Doesn't mean you have to add another hundred doors, then another hundred doors, another hundred doors, because I've reached that point. I think the second thing is, if you want to grow, what are the capabilities that you need, both from a leadership capability, right? an organizational design, and then an operational. As I talked earlier, you think about the journey someone comes on and starting a business, right? A party of one. It's just me. I'm doing all of these different components. So how does my organization grow starts with my ability as a business owner to grow into a different seat in my company? And if I don't have those capabilities... How can we help connect those capabilities in leadership development, talent management? It's important to understand is what's my growth? Where do I want to go to? How am I going to get there? What are the gaps that I have in a company? And then where do I got to go higher to those gaps? Shouldn't hire everybody that's just like you. That's one of the things I think as leaders we've always heard is don't surround yourself by people that are exactly like you because you're going to continue to have gaps in a company. But I think understand what your growth goals are, understand what's the roadmap to get there, and what's missing that you need to bring into your company. What guidance do you give franchisees around the brokerage side of the business? We're talking about a little bit of the shift in the economy. We've been blowing past some significant shifts, and churn has been a part of that story. There was a subset of companies that were able to capture some of those sales and others that were not. In terms of the opportunity that exists with the adjacency of brokerage, what counsel do you provide there? Yeah, I think I think two things. And again, you always kind of look at the franchising model with, with people that are joining us, right? Joining us is, is getting their real estate license, finding a broker to operate under, right? That's kind of the basic of the basic of the basic. At some point is the transition where you will become your broker, right? That is filling in that gap on your team where you don't have to operate underneath a broker. I think we're, we're working towards at real property management, kind of big picture, right? Because you always want to look at the abundance mindset is we want to retain the property. We may lose the investor. We think about that, right? So on average, on an annualized basis, we see tens of thousands of transactions happening, right? And it, it's okay. Investors bought their real estate asset for a purpose. They've already put their kids through college. They got their retirement. The market's super hot. I want to exit out. Where we see the opportunity is, 
We may lose the investor, but let's not lose that property. So how do we as an organization be able to put a fence around those properties? Because we have 40 plus thousand investors where we always have investors that are saying, Jeff, I'm ready to add to my portfolio. Where can I take on different properties? We also have thousands of investors that say, Jeff, I'm ready to sell my property. We believe we can make that connection between buyer and seller mm. inside of our own network. I have seen some interesting things within the franchise organization. I think about a Josh Kattenberg, RPM Express, Merlin Hoff, uh, and others whose names I'm forgetting, who have really kind of done some quite innovative things around the investment side, around bringing on and facilitating the deployment of capital in this space and being able to manage the properties. What opportunities do you see in servicing larger clients, potentially institutional clients? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're they're those guys are trailblazers. I mean, absolutely, they're, they're trailblazers. We have a ton of them into our system. Ralph Reard is in that same category as well. I mean, syndication, right? So you think about where we started as a property management company, right? Taking care of the basic eleven services of a property manager, right? We're collecting, right? We're doing these things, and where we're at today is we've got amazing people that are raising capital. We've got that same component that goes into development in terms of the build and then ultimately back into the management of it. I think that goes back to the power of our network because those gentlemen started coming in. Josh transitioned, not in the category. Ralph transitioned, not in the category. And to be able to be in that space, watch, trailblaze, and go a completely different explosion and ultimately, we're still in the property management category. We talk all the time about, I think the goal is, is wealth creation. The vehicle of by which we're doing that is through property management. The way that you put that is interesting because wealth creation is sometimes missed in the value prop proposition of property management, which is ironic and also sad because if you strip that out, what do you have left? When people say that property managers are a glorified rent collectors, there's a, a small subset where that's true, where it's not professional property management. If you're talking about a realtor that has no background, it really was just a money grab. I think in that storyline, you do have to decide the degree to which you are going to embrace wealth creation and owning properties is a part of that. What uh, counsel and advice do you give the owners in this system in terms of the connection between them personally owning real estate and the ability to serve their clients? Absolutely. I think, I think it's within our brand promise. That real property management, that's part of our brand promise. Helping you maximize your return on investment, protecting your asset, giving you back time and peace of mind, right? That time and peace of mind is the emotional payoff of why you want to do it. But we're helping you generate more and more appreciation in an asset. No different than your financial advisor on what his goal is on those two components of creating wealth. So when we think about the value creation that we're able to provide through wealth management, that really is the singular point within our brand promise that we teach, educate, and ultimately, at the end of the day, investors are going to understand what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to collect rent. You're supposed to do these different components. We don't have those conversations down to the tactical level with every single investor. What we have with the investor is, what's the return on my portfolio? What if I wanted to buy three, five, 10 more properties? What does the cash on cash look like? What's the internal rate, rate of return look like? What's the capital appreciation look like? We just launched a product, which is Wealth Optimizer, sits on every one of our franchise owners' local website, specifically to help elevate our brand promise, which is to show investors that may not be with us or they are with us on what does the potential look like, they come to us then to realize we'll manage it for you. But we're starting to have the conversations with investors of what they're looking for, maximizing the return on their investment, protecting their asset, mm. and giving them back the emotional component of where they want to park their capital. You just use the word asset. What is the difference between property management and asset management in your mind? 
Yeah, I, I think I think those two sit shoulder to shoulder, right? And they bleed into one another a little bit. I think the property management side of it, as we all know, to me is is the tactical components of facilitating the services of owning the asset. Asset management side, again, you brought Josh up. I mean, his company does it extremely well. Helping investors that are looking to say is, I want to park a lot of capital into whether it be a major multifamily property. They have the vision of it, which is, but how do I manage that asset? How do I not fulfill the services of what a property management company does? I think those two sit side by side and have a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. When you think about the resources that have helped you in your journey, are there any books that come to mind, any specific resources that have had enduring value for you across the span of your career? Yeah, I, I, I would say books, yes. But more importantly, are people, right? And I think people that I go back to mentorship, I go back to network, I go back to being part of a community, wherever it was, personally, professionally, watching, observing, trying things, right? Getting the coaching that is needed. I think one of the, one of the books that I really like is Good to Great, right? He talks about firing pellets, right? Before you shoot the cannon. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to do, but it's also important to don't take forever to shoot every single pellet that you have. I think that the second thing is, you know, I had a boss one time tell me, we, we will never get to a hundred percent of being perfect before we do something, right? If we can strive to get to 80%, right? And that, I think that correlates back to shooting those pellets, right? Before you fire that cannon. So I think it's, I think it's found Jordan and people and the connection, the relationships you have to learn and to have people help you. And then ultimately you help people. And I also think it's found in books and, and just continue to work on your self-education because we always want to continue to grow and grow and grow in a leadership capability. And it's important to take care of your people. I'm going to let you have the final word. It was a fantastic place to end it. Jeff, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.